Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are hoping that Ben and Lewis won't get claimed in the podcast expansion draft. I think it's okay. By the way, uh, Ben has a bit of a knee injury, so if you take him, I don't know if he's actually going to be able to podcast next year, so you might want to stay away. What time? Okay, well, I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky. Uh, we've got a really fun show for you today, and of course, with me to break everything down from the past week, two weeks, three weeks of NHL action behind the scenes, it's Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yeah, Ben has this nagging injury that he that he worked through over the last like two months of his best podcasting. Just as nagging. We're not sure if he's going to be able to podcast for the first half of next season because of it. So Seattle might want to hold off. And Lewis, nobody wants his contract. Just take my word for that. I'm really happy to be here with you, Elon. It's been a while. I have, of course, been enjoying your 32 Beat series, which I don't need to advertise on the show because everybody listening to us is hopefully been listening to all of those amazing interviews full of these really uh, inside baseball nuggets that you're getting from each team's beat writers, the people who watch them, think about them, and write about them the most. They make us seem like fair-weather hockey fans with their knowledge on each team. So uh, I'm really excited. And Elon, of course, you're doing a great job interviewing. But enough of that. I am excited. I love that you said to talk about all this NHL action uh, that's happened since the Stanley Cup has been awarded. I loved, I loved uh, yesterday afternoon. I actually was offline. And then I got online again, like right after, uh, like all the trades had happened. It's like, what? What is this? That's what the trade deadline used to be like. And I hereby uh, declare I would love an expansion draft every single season. Yeah, it's kind of like the trade deadline, but without like two or three like weeks of rumors going into it so that you're eventually disappointed. Yeah, it was just a kind of random trades that we weren't expecting. Plus, all the big names exposed for the expansion draft to Seattle that came out just today. We're recording this Sunday night. So, Brian, I'm thinking for this show, we'll quickly go over the Seattle thing. I mean, this is a fantasy hockey podcast, right? So we can't really talk about the fantasy impact of players being exposed. Obviously, we'll do a show once Seattle actually has a team and we can start projecting how we think these players are going to do on their new team. But thought it'd be fun to just quickly break down the exposed players then we'll get into breaking down a bunch of the trades and you know like signings or actually mostly uh, releasings from contracts that have happened over the last few weeks that may actually have some fantasy relevance for all of you but yeah i wanted to just talk quickly about these exposed names but actually, first, let's mention that we're presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. And I use Frozen Tools extensively to prep the show and all those beat writer episodes. Check out DauberHockey.com. But okay, now, these exposed names. I'm just going to run through the list of the names that jumped out at me. Maybe we could take turns, I don't know, and uh, maybe give quick comments about it. Like, I, like To me, like high level, Seattle could be really good next year, right? Like There's a really strong list of players. And we've had some patrons, you know, like Don Lucision. Lots of people have been tweeting how they've like gone through the exercise of trying to put the team together. And like they are able to make cap compliant, strong looking teams, like teams that I expect to be a lot better than like Anaheim and LA and Buffalo next year. So yeah, like right off the bat, Vladimir Tarasenko is exposed. What? 
that's wild. He's got two years left on that $7.5 million contract. Sure, there's this injury situation. We don't know if he's going to play next year, but like, it's pretty wild that they're going to be able to get a superstar like him. Uh, I guess the, there's also Vince Dunn. So like, St. Louis is going to lose a, a good player. I guess they're hoping to lose Tarasenko at this point. But uh, yeah, I was blown away by the Tarasenko being exposed. Well, we weren't so blown away after we read about how his relationship with the team was basically irreparable based on what had gone on over the last couple of years with the way uh, like they treated his injury and handled him and did or didn't give him the right opportunities to play or to heal. And there was also like very quietly behind all that talk, some, some murmur about how he was upset that he wasn't uh, given the opportunity to be the captain. When that opportunity came up, he felt he He'd been around long enough. He deserved a look and didn't get it. So I, I, honestly, it sounds like there's been a lot going on in the background and that he has played his last game for St. Louis, which is crazy because he was the happiest guy in the world, what, two, three years ago, winning the cup for them. And here he is now. Uh, and, and the team, I don't think anybody wants a piece of the other. So on one hand, St. Louis could solve that problem by Seattle just claiming him and that seven and a half million dollars over the next two years. Uh, St. Louis doesn't need to worry about him anymore, but they don't get anything back for him, which is crazy. Imagine uh, us having this conversation two or three years ago saying St. Louis is going to just give away Vladimir Tarasenko, even with that contract. He could very well be worth it. So I'm very curious to see because Vince Dunn is also a pretty serviceable defenseman and does have the, the, the ability to quarterback a top power play if he's put in that position. So uh, Seattle has a choice here. And honestly, if I'm them, I might say, okay, I'm going to take Dunn and then I'm going to negotiate to see if I can make a deal for Tarasenko because so far St. Louis is so nonplussed by the offers they've seen, uh, they're willing to just expose him. For nothing. So you have to think that they, uh, it won't take much to beat the best offer they've gotten so far if they would just be happy to be rid of him, period. So I'll be curious to see how Seattle approaches that situation. And it's wild to think about Vladimir Tarasenko not on St. Louis and St. Louis not having Vladimir Tarasenko. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like I said, like I'm not necessarily surprised that he's not going to be back with St. Louis. Like you said, like we've known this for a little while now, but I just thought that they would be able to trade him and get something for him. You make a good point. Hey, remember la- last expansion draft, somehow Vegas was able to get both Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith from the Florida Panthers. So maybe it could be a similar situation, get both Tarasenko and Dunn from St. Louis. Uh, the other really big news, which we were kind of joking about clunkily at the start of the show, Carey Price exposed uh, which was also something very unexpected. Of course, he's got that huge like $10 million contract for still like four more years. Uh, now news just came out right before we started recording that now Montreal is saying he's injured, which is like, obviously, I hope he's okay. And he's apparently going to go check with a doctor. It is kind of funny to me, just like it seems like a move a team can make. Like, I feel like Minnesota has to expose Kapokokkanen. Well, they could have also exposed Cam Tabo, which is probably what I would have done. But regardless, like they have to expose one of these really good goalies. You imagine that they're like busy, nothing. Oh, we can do that. Like maybe write a press conference. Like, oh, Kokkanen's, uh, I don't I don't know about his situation for next year and like maybe that's a strategic way to keep a player from getting taken obviously i know the league wouldn't allow that and by the way ben isn't actually injured ben also for new listeners is someone who does uh shows called short shifts with us with lewis uh during the regular season but okay so yeah carrie price on montreal that's going to be wild uh I'll, brian i'll throw a bunch of names at you then you can sort of comment in full like so 
JVR and Voracek and Gossip Behar all exposed from Philly. So Seattle's going to get a good player from Philly. It'll be interesting to see where they go there. Also, two exciting. When I say exciting, I mean like you know, like players who have been stars, players we've talked about a lot on Keeping Carlson in the past, having a tremendous fantasy relevance. So Eberly and Bailey from you know the Islanders, uh, Palat, Killorn, Gourd, all available from Tampa Bay. Uh, Max Domi from Columbus. These are just forwards. I'll get to some defensemen after, but like of these forwards already, like oh Duchesne or Johansson or Callie Yarncroft from Nashville, depending on if they want to take a big contract. So yes, some like potential for some big name forwards that Seattle can get to fill out their top six, maybe even top nine. For sure. So to start with, I'm going to go back to the goalie. You mentioned Carey Price, and I just don't think that we should trust. This is going to get stale really fast, right? This podcast, by the time uh, you hear that you're hearing this, there might have been three or four more uh, just random pieces of information leaked by various media members who had them leaked from Montreal or Seattle front offices. You know, we heard that Seattle was going to do a deep analytical dive on Carey Price just to, you know, maybe put a little fear into Montreal that, oh, maybe, maybe this was a mistake. Maybe we need to do something to make sure. Uh, Seattle doesn't draft Carey Price, and then Montreal counters by saying, actually, he might miss a chunk of the start of the season. Carey actually suggested that we expose him because otherwise we'd lose Jake Allen. And with Carey injured with this hip thing, that's obviously been bothering him forever and was always going to mean he missed a lot of time. Uh, if Without Jake Allen in the picture, the Habs will have no goalie. So Caden Primo, baby. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I would love to see him get a shot for sure. I'm not saying that can't happen, but uh, that wouldn't be the Canadians' number one preference to go in with him as their only goalie who uh, might be NHL caliber. So it'll be really interesting to watch this chess match play out through the media. Sometimes I wonder, Elon, how much we have, you know, some voices really stepping up in this conversation. Of course, you've got Pierre Lebrun and Frank Saravalli uh, being some of the, the bigger voices so far. And I actually wonder how much they really know if they know more than anyone, because they're hearing info from both teams, they might have a better way to tell how much of it is smoke and mirrors and how much of it is real. Anyway, I'm in it for the content, this whole Carey Price exposure thing. It's been a lot of fun to follow, and it's actually added a a lot of nice spice to the Seattle uh, expansion draft that didn't even need to be there, but it's like the cherry on top. So I'm happy to just take that ride. The Habs have also exposed Jonathan Drouin, who we'll see if Seattle thinks a fresh start is going to help him. Of course, there's a lot uh, going on with Drew or not going on. We don't know anything about why he was absent from the team for so long. So we'll just let that situation be and see what Seattle chooses to do. You mentioned those flyers, uh, JVR, Voracek, and Gostas Bear. Well, they've been trying to shop Voracek and Gostas Bear actively, openly for a while now. So that's no surprise. I'm guessing that they'd rather hold on to JVR, but wouldn't be sad to see his $7 million go. Although uh, I think... Ron Francis has made it pretty clear that having cap space is something like that's flexibility he sees as a weapon for his expansion team. So taking on JVR at $7 million doesn't seem like a great way to use it. I'm not sure they'll take either of those three guys, even though Philly would love it if they did. Love so on brand for the Islanders to expose Eberly and Bailey over Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck, which is just, uh, I mean, there's a lot of takes on this, obviously, but mine is that 
the Islanders have to know, have to be aware that in a million years, if they exposed Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck, Seattle would not take them or their contracts. So they probably could have kept Everly and Bailey. This almost tells me that they'd probably be happy to get out from under these contracts just a little bit, or they are just so blinded for their love of these fourth line players, which we've seen be true before. Max Domi, uh, you mentioned he's exposed in Columbus. Uh, uh, He was left exposed instead of guys like Eric Robinson and Jack Roslevic and Gustav Nyquist who are protected. So this is a, a pretty big fall from grace for Max Domi, but it's not one that we didn't necessarily see coming or find overly surprising. He's had a, a really underwhelming career so far. So we'll see if this does anything to kickstart that. And then in Tampa, you've got those bunch of guys at $5 million, uh, like Andre Pallad, Alex Killorn, Yanni Gord, and Tyler Johnson. Johnson and Gord have the longest term, so Seattle's really got to want one of them over Pallad and Killorn to go with them, is my guess. But Gord is like the hottest commodity in the league right now after his playoff performance. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went there. So that's that's my take. Oh, you mentioned Duchesne and Johansson Yarncroft. We're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about them later in the show. But for me, this is pretty much like bye-bye Callie Yarncrock, right? They they kept, uh, I didn't even write his first name, and I don't know it offhand, Janot, uh, Luke Kunin, and Alexandra Carrier over Yarncrock, which is, uh, like, I doubt Seattle Mines. Yarncrock seems like a great guy to bring onto your first-year squad. And I think Duchesne and Johansson are the red herrings, the, the bait that Nashville hopes Seattle will take, but I just don't see it coming but yeah. exposing yarn crock while protecting luke kunin and alexandra carrier and i think it's taylor janat okay uh, feels like galaxy braining from the nashville predators front office who just are so in love with their own guys that they might not realize it's like in fantasy right when you're so in love with someone on your roster and you never want to drop them, even though no this is like me with jesse pulley last year even though no one else was interested in taking them I dropped other guys that other teams were more interested in instead of Pugliarvi just because I was so unaware. Like I had those blinders on and I just feel like that's what Nashville's doing here. Yeah, and Cal Yarncroft's only like two million for one more year, yeah. and then I guess he becomes a UFA. But like, he's definitely someone that could, he fits the mold of like one of these guys that became a, a somebody when they got to Vegas. You know, someone who we'd seen like glimpses of uh, being a, like a good player, and now if he gets a more important role, though, then he could do something. But of course, like we've mentioned, a lot of players. Maybe he doesn't even crack the top six, depending on who they take. Yeah, and then there's still some. There's so many players, like you know, like Dadanov from the Sens. Maybe I don't know. Matt Murray obviously <laughs> exposed the Sens. Would, I mean, you, you didn't have to trade for. Him and sign him, but okay, <laughs> whatever. They're two big swings. The two places they spent money. Actually, uh, this was, these were both mistakes. Uh, someone else take them, please. Yeah, Tanner Janot, by the way, on, on Tanner. Nashville. Oh, it was so close. Okay, so then so on defense, by the way, you think like, okay, they could have good offense, but yeah, they're not going to have any good defense. No, they could have, okay, I, Jake Bean is someone who I, like, I've, you know, started playing Dynasty, as I've mentioned, you know, I'm following some of the prospects. Like, I thought that Jake Bean is supposed to be the next guy. Like, I was thinking, oh, if Dougie Hamilton leaves in UFA, I wonder if this will be Jake Bean time in in Carolina, like a potential sleeper, maybe like I would, I think it would be crazy for Seattle not to take this guy uh, since he's available to them. Mark Giordano, I don't know, he only has one year left on his contract. That might be a nice veteran guy if they could afford the uh, six point seven five mil. Uh, Troy Stetcher, everyone says how Troy Stetcher is like r- was really good for Detroit. He's cheap. Uh, 
Claggy from LA, like DeMello from Winnipeg. Like, they could fill out that decor. I don't know if they're going to take PK Subban from New Jersey. He only has one year left, but it's like nine mil. And then even like in Nets, like the reason why I don't think they should take Carey Price, it's not that I think like Carey Price is like not good or anything. Like, I think Price might have a couple good years left in him, but just like for the amount that they're going to be spending on Carey Price, like they have good options in Nets available. Like there's all this news coming out that uh, Drieger is going to go to the, like, he's a UFA, but apparently they're just going to, like, you know, pick him anyways, and they've already maybe got something to work out. I don't know. So, Drieger had that amazing year last year. Uh, you know, Vanacek is available. Kapokokkanen, like I brought up. So, like, why take a swing? Or I guess it's not as much of a swing on Carey Price, but, like, why spend the money and take the pick of Carey Price when you could get these other goalies who might even be as good as Price? Like, because obviously the last thing we've seen from Carey Price is that amazing playoff run, but his last couple of regular seasons haven't been so amazing. Oh, Ben Bishop is available. That would be interesting. I guess we don't, obviously, I wonder, like, what access they have to the doctors over these next few days to, like, check on all the health statuses, because obviously Ben Bishop missed the whole season. Um, the other name I just want to throw out, uh, Gabriel Landeskog is a UFA, but there's been rumors, like, obviously there's a lot of UFAs who are exposed, Ovechkin's exposed, but uh, Landeskog's been in the news because apparently... I don't know, maybe they're, like, talking to him behind the scenes, or, like, seems like he's, like, one of the UFAs that they might actually, along with Drieger, like, be able to sign somehow, which obviously would be huge. Imagine they have Landeskog and Tarasenko on their top line, centered by, I don't know, who's a center who I said? I don't even know. Max Domi? That's not, that's not so bad. <laughs> no, you could make something of that. You're right, they're, they're the makings of a decent team here, for sure, and I, I like... Jake Bean seems like an obvious thought, and I was reading uh, Sarah Siv's article over the Athletic about why he was exposed and not Brady Shane. Essentially, came down to Carolina wants to win now, and uh, Jake Bean isn't someone who they're ready to eat top four minutes in key situations. And unfortunately for Carolina, they don't have the time to to wait to let that happen this year or next year if they really want to contend. And we'll take the experienced NHLer in Brady Shea, even if his ceiling is a little lower. And Giordano could be fun for leadership. Stetcher and DeMello both seem like guys who've been around the league for no good reason, like who've always done well where they are, but no team has really latched on hard to them or as hard as it seems like their numbers should invite teams to latch on. And for goalies, Elon, I'm with you uh, without wanting to risk the ire of Habs fans who I know have been uh, exposed to a lot of hot takery and have felt have felt a lot over the team's cup run. I've never seen a fan base so uh, like mishkabibbled or discombobulated like while their team goes to the Stanley Cup finals like it didn't seem like there was room for celebration or happiness at all just it was like a an all-out war from that Toronto series all the way through the end just in the media and on social media anyway I, I hope Habs fans are feeling some peace and relaxation and aren't too triggered by all this Carey Price talk about Seattle shouldn't even take him I'm I'm with you Elon get uh, get some flexibility by taking on a couple lower-priced options like Dreedger and Kakinen, who may or may not pan out. But if they don't, you're not saddled with something that's really going to hurt you uh, a few years down the road when it's going to be increasingly important for your team to be competitive and you're really going to need that cap space and flexibility. So absolutely, uh, I'm. Uh, you and I have a lot of agreement here. I can't wait to see what Seattle does and also all the trades that happen. Like it's all going to be unleashed at once, right? About 48 hours from the time we're recording this. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. I can't wait. Like I said, expansion drafts every year. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, there, there used to be an argument that 
expansion just thinned out the talent of the league and made the whole product less watchable. And I think with the Vegas expansion, we know that's not true now. What I think we learned from the Vegas expansion was that there's a lot of talent in the NHL that never gets the opportunity. Like there are more than like the guys in the NHL can all be in the NHL, but there are more guys outside the NHL who might be better or never got a fair shot. And having more teams is a way to give more guys shots and opportunities to shine. And it's also remember like back when the argument was being made that expansion thins out the league. This was especially big when, uh, you know, there's a huge expansion with Nashville, Atlantis, Columbus, Minnesota. Um, and I think it came up a bit with Vegas, but at that time, a lot of teams we're running fourth lines of goons too, right? Like th- that was back in the days where the fourth line just came on to fight for five minutes. And like, the third line wasn't always much better. And it felt like, yeah, we can't thin this talent out at all, but look at what we've done. We actually have like teams you, you have rolling like very competent top nines, fourth lines that do more than just goon it up. And we've added a couple more teams And there's still, I mean, of course, you have your teams that are really struggling, but there's enough talent to go around. So it's exciting to know that there could be some gems unearthed in Seattle the same way there were in Vegas. Yeah, I like that point, because it's not only that, yeah, there's enough players outside of the NHL. It's also like there's enough players in the NHL who aren't getting these chances. Like we just talked about Callie Yarncroft. Like I think of like that top line the first year for Vegas, right? Like William Carlson, Jonathan Marsh, Soane Riley-Smith. These were guys that were in the NHL but weren't getting a top-line opportunity. They got it, and they showed us that they had a lot more talent than we thought. So it'll be fun to see. Yeah, unfortunately, we might, like, I don't know, it just seems like Seattle has the potential to just take a bunch of guys who we already know are good, and we won't be able to unearth any gems. But yeah, that'll be fun, but okay. And just before we move on to, to the rest of the content and talk about all the trades that happened who better to get for free and sign to a contract and used to be like a cornerstone piece of your franchise than gabriel landeskog like we you know you might have thought vladimir tarasenko was the superstar that could fall into seattle's lap but then gabriel landeskog guy who was a captain at such a young age was a key part of this colorado team that has grown and grown and grown of course you can't take all the credit for it, but I think he deserves a fair amount for being there from the start and still continuing to be a key piece all the way through. Uh, that just seems like such a tempting guy. Like you can't, uh, so how many other teams in the league wish, like would say, would say, okay, I'm ready to press the reset button if I get to reset with Gabriel Landeskog. That just seems so good, too good to be true. <laughs> so we'll see if it uh, turns out as obviously as I think it should. Well, I mean, all the teams do have a, a shot at Landeskog. I guess if Seattle takes him, then they, get, they get first, first crack. crack. Yeah, but like, uh, I don't know. Maybe someone could have sent him a carrier pigeon or something. Just be like, hey, you know, we got something good for you when the time is, uh, is over. I, I know that that's not exactly allowed. Okay, so anyways, that's our speculation about the expansion draft. We'll have to do another show at some point breaking down Seattle. We, I, we've got a lot of shows scheduled, by the way. I've got three uh, beat writer interviews coming out in this next week. Uh, as of now, it looks like we're going to be doing Edmonton, Boston, and Florida. Uh, so then Brian and I may have to also squeeze in a Seattle discussion. So yeah, there's a lot of Keeping Carlson content coming to you, but we've got more coming to you right now on this show. Uh, one team that we didn't talk about their protected list, even though it's kind of interesting, is the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I want to bring them up now in the context of a trade that they made because they seem to be preparing for the post-Zach Hyman era. Apparently Hyman and the Leafs are far away in their contract talks. So the Leafs have traded prospect Philip Hollander and a seventh-round pick to the Penguins in exchange for Jared McCann, who is coming off like a huge year in Pittsburgh. He had 
32 points in 43 games. It's a 61-point pace. And uh, as listeners of the show know, or followers of the NHL, that doesn't even tell the whole story. Like, this 61-point pace is over the whole season. Like, McCann actually had a slow start to the year. It was, like, after Malkin got hurt that he really took off. If you cut out the first, say, 13 games of the season, McCann had 26 points in his final 30 games. That's a 71-point pace. So he was, like, anyone who grabbed him out of free agency, as you likely were able to do early on in the season, he was, like, a fantasy, if not MVP, just, like, a really core piece of your fantasy team for a lot of the season and now he's uh, on Toronto though he's exposed in this expansion draft now so I guess we'll see I guess uh, Toronto uh, didn't want to lose Alex Kerfoot or at least now if they lose Kerfoot then they get to keep McCann so it'll probably be one of those guys but if Jared McCann is on Toronto I mean this has got to be like a tasty potential fantasy sleeper or maybe not sleeper because people might be excited because we saw what Zach Hyman could do playing with Matthews and Marner and I don't know I would imagine I guess if they lose Kerfoot McCann is a center Jesse Marshall when I talked to him he said that McCann's not, not that great at center and it's better like it was really good when Pittsburgh got Jeff Carter so McCann could play with him on the wing or when he was in the top six on the wing. So I think if it turns out that McCann stays on Toronto, if he's on a top six line, like playing with either Tavares or Matthews, seems to me like this could be a potential like, you know, 60 plus point guy who you might be able to get pretty deep in your fantasy draft. So I'm excited about McCann right now. I'm going to tell you to temper that excitement because if you're thinking he's just going to slide into Zach Hyman's spot... He's in the opposite shot. Hyman shoots right, McCann shoots left. So even if he does play the wing, uh, he's going to have to displace uh, someone who is not so easy. Okay, so can he fit on? Can he play with Tavares and Nylander then on the other line? Like it's sure it's po- anything's possible. These shots, I, who cares? Left wing, right wing, and fantasy. Like halfway through the season, everyone has left wing care. and right wing eligibility. It seems like these players not, can play all over. I'm not talking about fantasy though. I'm talking about and well, if you hate this, you're gonna hate what I say about some of the defensemen we're gonna cover later in the show. <laughs> I, I, I think that's more real. I think the left D right D thing. I think that's real. I just feel like there's we had this talk about like on uh, remember uh, about with the Rangers going into last season. Everyone was like, oh Lafreniere. Uh, he's like a left wing and the Rangers are so deep on left wing like so he's going to be like on the third line and then like like a few games in he was getting a shot on the top line on the on the right side so it's like I don't know if the teams care that much I think they're happy to try players but whatever okay continue okay so uh, I'm just I'm looking at the handedness I'm not going to go I won't go too deep here uh, to try and figure out where McCann fits as a winger but I honestly see him having much more use to the Leafs as a third line centerman but whoever stays he or Kerfoot we don't know who's gonna end up I think is more likely to play third line center than first or second line left wing Uh, but hey I guess we'll just like there's not a whole lot of reason to get too deep into speculating about where McCann's gonna land but we can talk about what he did last season um, which was really good right he had that amazing finish uh, to the year and really stepped up on the top power play but I think his career trajectory is still being a middle six centerman who can do some damage if he gets opportunity to play in the top six and on the power play. But I think he's more of the type who quietly does good work. Like he had really great shot share numbers last season. He's reliable. Coaches trust him and that's all good, but I don't think it's all going to add up to top end fantasy production. A, A huge reason for why he was so valuable last year is that McCann took full advantage of that power play one opportunity that he had because of Evgeny Malkin's injury. And he was actually used as a trigger man on that power play, took full advantage. He scored seven times on 21 shots, uh, which is a lot, but I'm actually not taking a 
ton away from him. Like, showed some great finishing from dangerous areas with a man advantage. That's fantastic, but it's not a situation I see him in often. If he stays in Toronto, I guess Seattle will offer a little more possibility, but he's really going to need that opportunity, and I don't think he's a lock to get it anywhere that he goes. I I think the best case for McCann is probably that he's a 50-55 type uh, guy, 50-55 points, uh, assuming that he does not. Yeah, even if he does find a route back to a top power play, I'm not sure he can really top out beyond that. And I think it's more likely, and I'm sorry, because uh, you're so excited about him, but I think he's more likely to be a guy who lands in his 40s. I, I honestly think of him as a, a version of Kerfoot, who paces for 35, 40 points, steady on that third line, sometimes comes up, you know, can come up to play on the second, which he also did in uh, in Colorado as well when he was still there. So for these reasons, I'm not so pumped about McCain, but there's one reason that everyone keeps mentioning about why, uh, like why he's not a great acquisition. That's he's on his fourth NHL team. He's only 25 years old. I saw a tweet from someone who uh, I unfortunately can't remember exactly who it was. And I looked really hard to find it before the show and I couldn't, but it was from someone who either worked in the Florida front office when they acquired Jared McCain or knew someone who worked there when they traded to get McCann from Vancouver. And they pointed out, yeah, this is fourth NHL team, but context is important because Florida really liked him when they got him. And the only reason they traded him is because there was like this whole shift uh, in the approach the front office and player evaluation was taking in Florida. And it wasn't because he was any worse or any different than what the team that acquired him expected him to be, but priorities changed and he didn't fit the type of player that the front office wanted anymore. So they moved him to Pittsburgh where he stayed for three years before the Penguins are now forced to move him to get something back in an expansion scenario, right? It was lose him for for nothing or get something back for him. And when you're given those two options, you can't take it as a slight against Jared McCann that Pittsburgh's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll get something back for him rather than lose him for nothing. So I don't see the fact that Jared McCann's been on four different teams as being three strikes and now he's on his fourth. I see him still as a still young player. He's just 25 years old, extremely useful, has done well across many different situations. And to me, that's actually encouraging that he's going to be able to stick in the NHL for a long time as this middle six center or, as you hope, winger. I mean, well, first of all, like Pittsburgh could have also like protected him. So it's not as if like it was like they had no choice. They could have just protected him instead of some other guy. But anyways, yeah, point taken. And yeah, I like how you're apologizing to me being like, sorry for you. Like, I'm bringing like, I'm just telling you that I saw him have a 70 point pace for the majority of this past season. And now he's uh, changing teams. Uh, So that to me is like someone that would be on my radar. But you're like not buying into it. 40 point guy, maybe 50. So I guess we'll have to see how it shakes out. But like, he's definitely on my radar. And yeah, he's the kind of guy that's Obviously, it's going to depend on the deployment, and he's someone during training camp I'm going to be watching very closely, whether he's on Seattle or Toronto, because I think if he goes to Seattle, that's another one of these, you know, Jonathan Marcheseau types, yeah. where, like, maybe he is a big star. Like, Brian, we just saw him get points almost every <laughs> game. It wasn't all on the power play. So I really, really liked McCann last year, even though I didn't expect to at the start of his run, and I still want to like him. I just don't know when, where, when that opportunity is going to come. I, the upside, when I said he's still young, just 25 years old, extremely useful, all of that means, okay, he can earn a coach's trust, and maybe we haven't seen his ceiling yet. So I'm not writing off the possibility that he can be in a 60-70 point range if he does find himself in a situation where he's being counted on for offense, because like I said, he was the trigger man on the Penguins' top power play, which is a pretty freaking big deal 
but I'm just not that confident he's going to get that opportunity, especially in Toronto. So we'll see if he moves to Seattle, and then we'll reconsider. Okay, so that is fair enough. The reason also I just look at Toronto, and we'll move on, and we'll see, he might leave. So, But like Toronto's top six, you know, you've got the big four, and then after that, like, I don't know who's even there at this point. Like, I know at some point, uh, got, um, Robertson, Mikhaev. yeah, Mikhaev, like Robertson, Robertson will come up at some point. Like, I don't yeah. know, it's not as if there's a lot of people clamoring for that job. Well, I'm sure there's people clamoring, but like, there's not a lot of obvious options. So that's why I feel, feel like Jared McCann, who just had so much success playing on the wing in Pittsburgh, why not? But okay, they'll obviously need a third line center. Actually, speaking of teams who need a third line center, uh, Brian, so the Vancouver Canucks, it's not like a super fantasy relevant trade, I guess, but Jason Dickinson got traded to the Canucks for a pick and I just felt that was interesting to me because when I talked to Harmon Dial about the Canucks he was saying how like JT Miller played so well at center when Elias Pettersson was injured and if the Canucks like didn't have a third line center in place maybe they moved Miller to the third line if they're able to get some other winger so I don't know I thought it was interesting that the Canucks trade for Jason Dickinson especially for me as someone who just recently traded for JT Miller in my uh, dynasty league so I'm happy to see now that it's nothing to be concerned about the Canucks got their 3C and now they can keep their top six how it should be with Miller hopefully playing with a uh, Besser and Pedersen so I wanted to throw that out there since we were talking about these third line centers sure I think that's exactly Jason Dickinson seems more like a career third line center with less upside than Jared McCann so sure. how about that relatively looks good there come on though there was no way that JT Miller was ever actually going to play third line center Harmon wrote a whole article on the athletic about it yeah, I know, but it just seems like, I mean, we can't count on the Canucks management to necessarily do anything to avoid something, like, so ridiculous happening, but, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not surprised that they, that they, headed that off before it actually had to happen yeah well now i'm kind of thinking hey if miller is so good at playing center then why don't you throw him at center sometimes get Pedersen on the wing all of a sudden get all those sweet jt miller face-off wins in my multi-category league <laughs> with left-wing eligibility i'll take it uh by the way okay so on the pens so yeah they lose mccann they got philip hollander which is a guy they already had they traded him to toronto in the casperi kapanen deal so now he comes back so i don't know we'll, we'll see like we're not prospect experts he had 24 points in 51 games in the shl this past season he's a 21 year old now so maybe he finally gets a shot to crack the penguins and i don't know maybe they have a spot in the top six maybe not we'll see jason zucker is exposed uh going into last year we thought we finally knew who the penguins top six would be for like the first time ever like you know if it was going to be uh, Crosby with Gensel and Rust and then Malkin with Zucker and Kapanen. Of course, Malkin's like injured now. So who even knows what's going to happen in Pittsburgh? But like with McCann gone, it seems like there's potentially a spot for someone. Potentially. I don't know. It depends if Zucker goes or not. So I don't know. Any fancy relevance on Pittsburgh on your end? I don't think there's a ton. I mean, I guess it's good for Jeff Carter. And I guess that it potentially means that, uh, you know, maybe Kasperi Kapanen has a shot at seeing top power play because we know that Evgeny Malkin is likely to miss training camp, right? And he might not even be back for the start of the season. So that just means, yeah, Carter could start on the second line. How much that's worth when the second line doesn't have Evgeny Malkin on it uh, remains to be seen, but there might be a hole on that top power play that either Jeff Carter or Kasperi Kapanen are going to get a chance to fill. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, Jeff Carter is protected. I didn't expect that. But uh, yeah, I guess they yeah, that's why line. McCain was that's why McCain was traded. Yeah, they couldn't protect them both. So they protected they chose to protect Carter. Let me see here. So who did they protect? Crosby, Malkin, Gansel, Rust, Kapanen, Carter, Teddy Bluger. 
Well, why'd they protect? I know there's like also all these complicated rules about they needed to also some protect some players who hadn't played a certain number of games or had. So I don't know. I feel like I'd rather have like McCann over Teddy Bluger. But anyway, okay, whatever. Let's uh, move on. Actually, Brian, we've got a lot to get to, including a bunch of trades that Nashville was involved in. We'll get to that in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. And now that we're back, Elon, I, I efficiently used the time uh, for that ad break to look a little bit more into the Bluger keeper situation. I think that's just because it looks like they saw Jared McCann as a winger, ironically enough, after the conversation we just had, and Bluger is a center, and they prioritize needing a center instead of a winger. There you go. Okay, so like I said, let's go to the Predators. They've blown things up a bit, a couple big deals. So first of all, way back on July 1st, they sent Victor Arvidsson in his remaining three years at 4.25 million AAV to the Los Angeles Kings for a couple of picks. Uh, Then Nashville was involved in a three-way deal on Saturday. They sent Ryan Ellis to Philly and eventually got back Cody Glass from Vegas and Philippe Myers from Philly. So there was a Glass for a Nolan Patrick deal, which we'll talk about in a sec, but obviously Nashville doesn't care about that at this point. Uh... So that's two significant pieces gone from the Predators and Arvidsson and Ellis, and all they've gotten back are a couple picks, Adept D and Philippe Myers, and a so far stagnating prospect in Cody Glass, who only had 10 points in 27 games last year. So my initial take here is that barring some big moves in UFA, oh, and we're saying that they're probably going to lose Cal Yarncroft. So yeah, barring some big moves in UFA, seems like Nashville's going to have to go into a bit of a rebuild. And to me, like, my initial take is like, I feel like this kind of has got to hurt the fantasy value of some of the like remaining stuff stars on the team like Philip Forsberg and Roman Yosier, maybe guys I take a little bit later now just because who are these guys gonna play with to get points exactly and who is going to help UC Saros stop shots right Nashville has announced that they're going into what they're calling a competitive rebuild uh, and uh, I don't know how competitive it's going to be we did sort of talk about this a lot over the last season where whenever we were talking about how great UC Saros was and what his value is going to be next season I was usually saying, well, but look out because we don't know exactly whether Nashville is headed in the right direction as a team. But whenever I said that, I didn't in my mind think that they would deal away Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis and expose Duchesne and Johansson. Like, I I didn't know it was going to be like this, but you have to figure this is all going to hurt. I think it's going to hurt UC Saros the most, right? The Nashville decor is suddenly very thin. You've got Roman Yosi, Matisse Ekholm, and then a bunch of guys. And we should mention, only to be fair, that UC Saros uh, was incredible while Ryan Ellis was out with his shoulder injury last season. He was a 9.59 over 11 appearances. And Saros actually went 8-2-0, posting two shutouts and only gave up 14 goals in his 11 appearances without Ellis in the lineup. That's when he started to just go wild and get everyone's attention and get plucked out of every free agency and waiver wire in everyone's fantasy leagues. But I'm not going to say that uh, correlation equals causation there and that he only played well because Ryan Ellis was out. I think in the big picture, uh, this is bad news for UC Saros. And like you said, Elon, also bad for some of those Nashville forwards. Like, look at Philip Forsberg. He finally took the step forward this year, thanks to the extra deployment that he was finally given after we begged for it for years. And now that they've gave him a little more rope, the team is now saying, oh, we're actually all going to take a step back now. Uh, Forsberg has spent the last two years playing largely with Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. So Johansson is, is exposed. Arvidsson is gone. 
I think you could take this as a positive and say, well, Forsberg, you know, never really broke through with those guys, but I would still wager that was an ice time and power play problem rather than a, a line problem. And I think that would be really working too hard to be optimistic about this. I think it's pretty negative that he has uh, lost one third or one of his other two main line mates for the last three years. And the other one is obviously uh, not favored by the organization either. Well, but to be fair, Johansson, there's no chance he's going anywhere. He's coming back. <laughs> for sure. It's like a free exposure. Uh, and I guess it's also no secret that Nashville would be happy to get away from that contract. So you're right. Maybe I'm, I'm reading a little bit too much into him being exposed. But the way that Nashville's going into this competitive rebuild... I wonder if they're going to start trying to give some other guys some reps, but I don't know who those guys would be. Yeah, so definitely I concur about Philip Forsberg. We'll see who we can play with. Obviously, they've got some guys coming up. You know, Ellie Tolvanen we were so excited about last year. Uh, they've got this prospect that I see people talking about all the time, uh, Philip Tomasino. So maybe he comes in and could do something. But yeah, right now, it's not... Uh, but by the way, Brian, tell me if I'm wrong. It's just a gut feeling. I'm not worried about UC Soros. Like, this guy... Like, also, it's, like, fine. They Like, I think that Ryan Ellis is, like, a great defenseman. But it's not as if he's, like, the most like, defensive defenseman. You know, like, he's great at getting, like, a bunch of points. But, like, you know, whatever. Nashville will have Roman Yosi and Ekholm. And now they have Philip Myers, Dante Fabro is this up-and-coming guy. Like, they'll fill out their D. And if anything, like, UC Soros now becomes a guy who's potentially going to be a very high volume goalie because it was just announced that Pecorine is retiring. So we'll see if like Connor Ingram becomes the backup or if they sign someone else. But I mean, UC Saros is the kind of guy to me, like he's the reason why I'm not reaching for a goalie in fantasy after, you know, Vasilevsky, right? Because I feel like Saros might fall, you know, to like eighth or ninth. I guess we'll have to see like when fantasy rankings yeah. start coming out. It's really hard. Like I'd have Saros probably in my second tier right now going into next year after Vasilevsky, maybe Hellebuck, so maybe third tier, you start throwing in a guy like Saros along with a Grubauer and, you know, we have to look at the situations after all the free agency plays out. Yeah, you're going to have to have a lot of faith that Saros is going to hold up and do his best work when he's busy and also without having a backup, like he's going to get run. And I, I know that worked for him last year in a shortened season. I don't know how it's going to work for him over an 82 game season. Yeah, and got to imagine they bring someone in as a backup. I appreciate the upside that's there as a guy who's proven himself that he can be really good, who's going to see a lot of work, who's going to be a, a number one goalie. It's not easy to find. It's almost like... Uh, not exactly like John Gibson last year as a very good goalie on a bad team because John Gibson had had a bad year already and UC Saros uh, is coming off a very good year. So, uh, but like, I, I think there might be a bit of an analogy there in the kind of value you can like risk trying to see, but you seem much more optimistic that UC Saros is going to perform next year than I think you would have about John Gibson performing last year. Yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is that it's like trading uh, Ryan Ellis isn't making me all of a sudden like worried about UC Soros. But yeah, if they don't have a backup at all and they have to play him like all the time, like Carter Hart last year or like John Gibson, like you say, yeah, maybe that could be concerning. But there's a, there's a long offseason still. Uh, I guess one name that could potentially center Philip Forsberg if they don't want to play him with Johansson anymore is Cody Glass, who they've just gotten back in this trade. Uh, we thought Glass could be a potential sleeper last year, remember? Like when Paul Stasny went to Winnipeg, it looked like, oh, maybe Cody Glass is going to be in the top six in Vegas. 
Vegas. And like right away, Chandler Stevenson took the line one center job, leaving Glass to languish in the bottom six once again. Uh, he's 22 years old now. He's a former sixth overall pick in 2017. Do, are you excited for this guy? Like, is he someone now on your radar that he comes to Nashville? Or is he sort of just, uh, I don't know, wait and see? I'm not too excited. Like, Ellie Tolvanen, by the way, was taken in that same draft in 2017, 30th overall. Like I said, Glass went sixth. Uh, if you got to pick one Nashville guy for your dynasty team or a one-year league for next year, would you take the sixth overall pick or the 30th overall pick from 2017? Well, I'm going to use their names and say that I would take Ali Tolvin in the 30th overall pick from 2017 because of his likelihood of getting on the top power play. I, I did just say that the Predators might try and uh, give younger guys some more opportunity and maybe take some away from Ryan Johansson. But even if Cody Glass got it, I'm not sure he'd take advantage of it at this point. I don't see much reason to be excited for him. The third line center role in Vegas last year was his to lose, and he lost it to Nicholas Roy, and not for a lack of opportunity. He had plenty of chances to make things work there, but nothing seemed to look good for Vegas while Glass was on the ice in that role. So we'll see if a fresh start helps for Cody Glass in Nashville, but I'm not sitting here thinking that a change of scenery was all he needed, which is why I'm not getting interested in Cody Glass. Uh, I'm also not getting interested in him because the team he's on, Nashville as a whole, we just talked about how Philip Forsberg value goes down. Think of the ceiling on a guy like Glass that we're anticipating going into next year. And that's why I would prefer Tolvanen because at least I've seen that he can at least provide some niche value as a power play producer, and I expect to see that happen next year. Uh, Glass, we haven't even seen that much. Yeah, exactly. I definitely am staying clear of Glass until he gives us a reason to be interested. And yeah, I did mention, but I'll just complete this conversation. Philip Tomasino is a centerman also. He's the 2019-24th overall pick, and he had 32 points in 29 games with the Chicago Wolves of the AHL last season, which is pretty impressive for like an 18 or 19-year-old uh, playing at professional hockey. So uh, he's definitely someone to watch. And if you're in a dynasty league, I know that in my dynasty leagues, there's been lots of talk about how people are very excited about Mr. Tomasino. Seems like there could be a top line center position available in Nashville because Duchesne and Johansson, they're like just trying to dump those contracts as fast as they can. Uh, okay, so let's go to L.A. now. Talk about this Victor Arvidsson guy who's now getting a fresh start, trying to regain whatever swagger he lost. He was like our, he was like a Keevan Carlson favorite, right? He had three straight 60 plus point seasons with the Preds. Uh, since then, he's pretty much disappeared in his last couple of years, at least fantasy wise, like 40 and 41 point paces since 2019. 2020, 2021. Uh, unfortunately, I'll throw it out there. Like, if recent history is any indication, players generally need to leave LA to become valuable fantasy assets, not the other way around. Like, we've seen like Tyler Toffoli, Alec Martinez, like even Tanner Pearson go from being kind of fantasy nobodies to players that are worth, you know, having a look at, or like Toffoli and Martinez even like becoming like really valuable fantasy pieces. It's been a long time since I've seen, I could recall a player like going to LA, like LA acquiring a player and their fantasy value going up. Brian, I even actually spent some time when I was preparing for the show like, trying to think of a name, and I couldn't think of a name. Like, Wayne Gretzky, but his value didn't go up. He was great on the Oilers already. Like, do you have a name? Do you have anyone that's gone to L.A. and become more valuable, like we're hoping Victor Arvidsson can be? You'd, ha- you'd have to look a long way back, but that's because recent history with L.A., going into their cup-winning days, the formula was to just shut it down, and then... Even after that, the formula stayed shut it down, and now there's some change afoot. So I don't know if we can say, if we can really judge what it means to go to LA today relative to what it's meant for the last 10 years, because I I feel like you lumped them in at the start of the show with, you called them a bad team with uh, Anaheim 
and Buffalo. Well, for next year, I think LA has a great future once all of their young prospects are good. You think next year LA is a strong competitor? Look, I think this next year could still be bad, but I think it could still be the start of like a new beginning in Los Angeles. So I'm not about to say that whoever goes to LA is going to feel the same effect. And honestly, who else did LA even acquire? Over the last 10 years. Like, name me a guy who went to L.A. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, like, we don't even have a baseline to measure. Andreas Athanasiu. He went to L.A. (laughs) Yeah, he also went to Edmonton. and. (laughs) Okay, so, by the way, Jeremy is saying in the chat here, Jeff Carter is his pick. So, I don't know if I buy that. So, Jeff Carter had a couple... He had an 84-point season with Philly in his second year in the league, then 61 points, then 66. Then, I guess he had a down year in Columbus when he got traded to L.A. But then, after that, on L.A., he was closer to, like, 52-point pace, 56, 61. So, I don't know. I think he was better on Philly than he was on L.A., so it doesn't count. prime career years where we anyway i i don't think it's fair to say because you're getting traded to uh, question for the want? listeners give me one name a player who was not useful then went to la and then was like a much better my question to the listeners is name one player who went to la okay all right so anyway victor arvidsson brian regardless of this silly thing you think that he, do you think he could break the trend and like get back on track to the guy he was before i'd imagine a lot will depend on like you know, deployment. Like, obviously, it would be nice if he could be centered by Kopitar. It would be nice if he can play on the top power play, which you'd think they'd give him a shot at. Uh, so, I don't know. What's your current uh, projection? If you had to do a projection right now, are we talking, like, back to the 60s, stick in the 40s? Are you going to just, like, go right in the middle? Say, fi- I bet you're going to go in the middle and say 50s. So, first off, it's hard to say, like, you're trying to project where he's going to sit in the depth chart. And also going with this, like, new LA that I'm trying to to tout, it's very possible that LA makes some moves. Like they have cap space. We talked about this, or at least you and I, I don't remember if it was on a show or just you and I chatting, but instead of the off season, LA raised eyebrows as a team's, oh, they could, they could really do something. And if they want to try to start competing with their young core now, they have the space to try and make a splash or two to do it. So we'll see what the roster looks like. If it stays exactly the same, yeah, it would be really nice for Arvidsson to land with Kopitar on the top line. The second line center, probably Gabe Velarde. I guess Quinton Byfield might have a shot at, at taking on that role for some of the season. Um, but let's just talk about Victor Arvidsson in a vacuum by looking at his most recent season, where Arvidsson had just a 5% shooting percentage and a 55% IPP at 5-on-5, which were more or less, well, career-low IPP, almost career-low shooting percentage. Then on the power play, Arvidsson only shot 9%. That was a career-low. And his teammates only shot 9%, which was also a career-low. So a lot of poor variance for Victor Arvidsson last season, but that doesn't excuse all of it. He didn't quite look the way he did in his peak as a 65-70 point player in the other pieces that aren't affected by variance that he has a little more control of, like Arvidsson was shooting less and from less dangerous areas, but I think he deserved more than he ended up getting and showed some improvement over that just disastrous 2019-20 season he had, which, by the way, I don't know if you read... But he did an article, uh, an interview for Adam Vingen of The Athletic on his way out of Nashville. And he was asked about a cross check from Robert Bertuzzo uh, that came about five, six weeks into that 2019-20 season. That was like his first really awful season after a few good ones. 
And he shared, uh, he played only 57 games. He shared after that cross, from that cross check, that single cross check, he blew two MCLs and he came back five weeks later. And it sounds like maybe he rushed to be part of the outdoor game. Uh, he said it was too early to come back and he never felt right. So now, instead of saying, seeing only two years of huge disappointments from Arvidsson, we say, okay, well, two bad seasons. The first one was probably an injury. And the second one had poor variance and kind of curious deployment too. And in LA, like you said, Elon, there may be room on the top power play for him. Hopefully he's healthy. Keep in mind, even in uh, Arvidsson's great seasons, going back to that power play point, he was only somewhere between seven and 13 power play points total on the year. So there's a lot, I have a lot of reason to still want to give Arvidsson the benefit of the doubt that he can return to being fantasy relevant and be worth drafting this year. I'm not buying in wholesale, but I really like the opportunity for him to start fresh, to start healthy, get some of that variance sorted out, and hopefully have a new beginning in LA where uh, you said I'm going to be in the middle, like in the 50-55 point range. Yeah, I think that's most likely. That's where most of the guys we talk about land. But if you want me to pick over or under... I am going to uh, stick my neck out a bit here and say over. All right. Yeah, you've always been a fan of Arvidsson, and I I like it. It'll be really fun to see him get this fresh start, see what we can do. Like we've said about Nashville, it's not exactly a place where players have been thriving lately. So maybe this fresh start will be good for him. Man, I'm looking through a list of acquisitions by the LA Kings over the (laughs) years. You're right. There's nobody. Like everyone, they, they got Gaborik. Uh, who was brought up in the chat here by Fantasy Tidbits uh, that they got him in 2014. But that was like, you know, he was much better on the Rangers and on Columbus than he was on LA. He kind of like went down when he was on LA. They got Lucci. I didn't even remember that they traded for Lucic. But okay. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Recently, they were able to get rid of him too. I, maybe Leah Sanderson will turn out to be a good get for LA at some point. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Man, okay. Well, th- here it is. The Kings are finally back and ready to try to get players and improve their team. And we'll see if Victor Arvidsson is the first in a long line of successful acquisitions that really come out of their shell once they're on the Kings. Uh, okay. So we're still looking at this big three-way trade between Nashville, LA, and Philly. So let's look at Philly, who got Ryan Ellis. <laughs> so he's coming to the picture. Uh, Brian, I guess if you were saying that you're worried about UC Saros losing Ryan Ellis, does that mean that you're excited for Carter Hart gaining Ryan Ellis? Like, I guess in general, you probably know more about this than me. Like, this Philippe Myers character who Philly traded, like, obviously Ryan Ellis is the guy who's fantasy relevant, the player who we know. In terms of, like, defensive abilities, is it like Ellis is also a big improvement over Myers on the defensive end in a way that, like, it's going to help the goalie be better? I think so. I mean, the Flyers definitely had high hopes for Myers. He's this big defenseman who they thought could maybe step in and be at least a top four guy reliably last year and eventually top pair. And uh, he didn't. I mean, the whole defense did look like a kind of disorganized chaos last year. And maybe that was because of Carter Hart, like chicken egg, it was really hard to say exactly where things went south for Philly last year. But the bottom line is that Myers didn't show up as soon as they hoped for him to. And now they go and get Ryan Ellis, who is one of the top right-handed defensemen in the entire league. So how can you not like that? And finally, like the Flyers have been looking for a top pair righty to play with Provorov. For a long time, uh, they've had Matt Niskanen, who's now retired, so he's not coming back. The only other NHL-experienced right-handed defenseman under contract in Philly right now is Justin Braun. So acquiring Ryan Ellis was kind of a really big deal for the Flyers. And let's not forget, he can also quarterback the power play if called upon. He's got a great shot. 
and isn't afraid to use it. And wouldn't it be nice to see him get that opportunity? Uh, I guess it'll like that. I don't know. Right. I, I think we're going to have to wait even till the first week or two of the season to really find out. But the upside is there. Of course, the downside for Ryan Ellis is that uh, he has this injury history, especially last year's injury where he missed, I think it was 20 games with his shoulder. Uh, that was concerning and it looks like it might have actually impacted his offensive and defensive numbers uh, once he was back and in a cap league uh, you, you know you're looking at the 6.25 million and saying okay he's got that till he's 36 years old I think that's still if you can get a top four defenseman for that price I think that's pretty good and I think he can offer that for another three or four years and maybe he kind of Ryan suitors his way to being a 36 year old who might not be like the hugest impact defenseman but he can eat a lot of minutes and and be pretty steady in those minutes so um, for Ryan Ellis I know you asked me about what this means for Carter Hart uh, but talking about Ryan Ellis first it, I don't think this changes and I'm curious to hear your thoughts it doesn't change where I have him in my draft list next year, though I'm definitely curious that maybe he has a a higher ceiling now if he does get that top power play role. And then to go back and answer your question, uh, I, of course, like what this, I mean, this all implies, I like what this could mean for Carter Hart and all of Philly, right? Like Ryan Ellis is good at getting the puck and making a pass and starting a play. This is good for everybody, for Car- for the guys behind him, like Carter Hart, and the guys in front of him, like the forwards. So I'm uh, I'm really excited by this move for Philly after what was such a disappointing year. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. Uh, Ellis is going to have a shot at the power play, like you said. Uh, oh, yeah, and Carter Hart, uh, when we talked to Charlie O'Connor about Philly, like, it was like, Hart, you don't know, almost like you don't want to read too much into this, like, breakdown this past year. Like, it was a weird season already. He had to play, like, so much. Like, he really could have used, like, a week off. A Philly just couldn't give it to him because Brian Elliott wasn't doing any better. Uh, so I was already, like, expecting Carter Hart, who's only 22 years old. He's still so young. So I was already expecting him to, you know, like, have a bounce back. And now it's nice that he has, like, this good extra defenseman on the team. Uh, Ellis is interesting because if you look at, like, I don't even know what to project him. I wouldn't have known what to project for him if he stayed in Nashville. These are his point paces over the last five seasons. 44, 60, 41, 64, 42. Like, there's no middle ground. It's like Arvidsson except alternating. Uh, He's either in the 40s, low 40s, or he's in the 60s. Uh, So now if the pattern continues, he's about to have a big 60 plus point pace season in Philly. And I think the opportunity's there. Like, we've seen that Provorov isn't someone that Philly loves on the top power play. Shane Gossespeher, when he you know, wasn't benched and he got a shot on the top power play, was doing well there. So I guess it's going to probably depend a lot on if Gossespeher gets taken by Seattle or if uh, Philly can trade him. But yeah, I definitely don't see why they wouldn't at least give Ryan Ellis a shot. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. In the end of the day, I don't really know what to project for him. I'd probably land around 45 just to be safe because also with the injury. It's almost like you're, you want to bump him down anyways in your draft list just because of the injury risk. So if he falls, like if people, you know, people always get excited about someone going to a new situation, which we've chronicled on the show, often doesn't work out as well as you hope, right? Like we've seen defensemen go to new teams where we assumed for sure they're going to take over on the top power play. Like off the top of my head, you know, there was Peaky Subban uh, when he went to New Jersey. There was like Trubo when he went to the Rangers. I don't know, Justin Falk. When he went to St. Louis, like, I don't know, like it's happened and it doesn't always go the way we expect. So if people are like super excited about Ryan Ellis and I'll let someone else draft him. But if he's falling and then like I could get like a, you know, high 40s point defenseman, he's definitely someone I'm looking at around there. He always seems to be a guy who falls to a moment where you're ready to take him, right? No one ever seems to jump for Ryan Ellis, which is fair, especially given his 
up and down history. Uh, so yeah, I, but I, I don't see him. I, I think your caveat was interesting that just because he's on a new team doesn't mean we should get any more excited about him. And it's actually, maybe it's actually a flag that we shouldn't expect things to go perfectly smoothly because he, maybe it won't be a fit or maybe it takes time to figure out the fit. Last year, I was just looking up his ADP in the cupful. He was drafted on average uh, 97th overall. Yeah, and he was a disappointment because he was coming off a 64-point pace season, yeah. and then last year he was back in the 40s. So anyone who drafted him is definitely going to be listening to this podcast and be like, yeah, I'm definitely not making that mistake again. And so we'll see. But anyways, regardless, it's still like a good move for Philly. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying like, in terms of fantasy value, I'm not rushing to grab Ryan Ellis. Uh, okay, yeah. let's complete. So I actually included LA in the three-way trade. That LA and Nashville trade was already like a while ago. The The final participant in the three-way trade was Vegas. So right, they traded Cody Glass, and they got Nolan Patrick. So we've already talked about Glass Glass and Tolvanen, who were picked 6th and 30th in the 2017 draft. So let's go all the way up to number 2. Nolan Patrick was taken 2nd right before the NHL's newest multi-millionaire Miro Haskinen, who went 3rd. By the way, Haskinen just signed an 8-year, $8.45 million per year deal on Saturday. So, so far, definitely Haskinen has uh, had a better career than Nolan Patrick. Uh, to be honest, I'm going to say it. Like I, This clearly was a whiff of a pick for Philly. Like, they've already traded Patrick away so clear, and haven't gotten like such an amazing return. Yeah, they got Ryan Ellis, but I don't know if it like it was that sending Nolan Patrick was the big thing that got them Ellis. So obviously they would like to do it again, but who knows? Maybe Nolan Patrick is still young. Now he's going to Vegas. Uh, you know, Cody Glass couldn't crack. You said even the top nine. Do you have any hope or expectations that Patrick will be able to do it? Like if you had to pick like Patrick versus uh, Cody Glass for next year, who's the like, by the way, Patrick stunk last year. Let's just say like I brought up that Cody Glass didn't have the best year. Patrick had nine points in 52 games. So it was like nice yeah. that he played the whole year because, you know, the previous year he missed the entire season with those migraines and whatever was going on. So it was nice to see him play almost the whole season. But nine points in 52 games is is nothing like there's like depth defensemen who get more points than that on most teams for sure it was a really bad season and i only hope that it was because nolan patrick was just kicking off rust and also getting comfortable again right when your head like he's having this migraine problems that caused sure. yeah, I mean, yeah. an entire season hockey is a game where your head gets hit a lot and i would be really scared if i were playing and i don't know if that's something that will continue or if he uh, eventually was able to to play the way that he had played before I'm, I'm not convinced he has i'm not convinced he's shown his true potential yet you called him a whiff of a pick and i get because of uh like the deal and the return i understand well also because so- next went haskinen then kale mccarr then elias Pettersson. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, well we've talked about a lot of that 2017 draft tonight right because uh that was also the tolvanen or you we well, yeah, talked about saying, glass yeah. versus tolvanen he sure yeah. also was a whiff, right? He sure <laughs> went first. And then uh, Velarde, we also mentioned he went 11th. Then Nichas and Suzuki, 12 and 13. Then uh, Josh Norris, Philip Heedle, Kyler Yamamoto, and Robert Thomas were all taken in the first round in 2017. And all of those names have made at least or more of a name for themselves. And Nolan Patrick has been able to so far. I'm really hoping that this is a nice, fresh start. This seems, unlike Cody Glass, I don't think Cody Glass needed a change of scenery. I think he needed to just play better. I'm hoping, well, the same, Nolan Patrick needs to play better, but I'm hoping, I have more hope that a change of scenery is going to benefit him than I do for Cody Glass. So I'm really, I'm really count, like, I, I want Nolan Patrick to succeed. And I think the third line in Vegas is a pretty decent assignment to get to try and make that happen. So I wish Nolan Patrick all the best. I will not be drafting him uh, for the same reason that I wouldn't even draft Alex Tuck 
right? Who we know is a proven producer on that third line, but I am hoping that he makes himself streamable by having a, a really nice year in Vegas. Yeah, I feel like when the podcaster is like continually reiterating that they really want the player to do well, <laughs> like you read between the lines means that don't pick this guy. They're probably not yeah. going to do well. <laughs> you just hope like because it would be nice. And also clearly now we know that you don't care about if Cody Glass does well. You care you care so much more about Nolan Patrick. What did Cody Glass do to you? I get yeah, I get you right. <laughs> I I feel bad now. I hope every the truth is I hope everyone, I want everyone well. to succeed. <laughs> uh, well, almost everyone. There's some guys who I'd rather not. But uh, yeah, I hope Cody Glass does well. I hope Nolan Patrick does well. I just feel like I followed Nolan Patrick a lot since he was drafted, and it just hasn't been a smooth ride. So I'm really hoping that things get smooth. He he, Cody Glass has a little more adversity to face before I'm like, you can do it, Cody. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, he he already has an advantage in life because his name is Cody, which is always the name of someone cool. Uh, okay, so next, uh, oh yeah, I wanted to talk to you about Haskin, and I brought him up. What do you think about this contract? So, uh, eight point four five million per year. Like I said, for eight years, that makes him the sixth highest paid defenseman in the league. That might change soon, though. Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, and Rasmus Dahlin are all RFAs, and they're all probably going to see that Haskinen contract and be like, I think I'm at least as good as Miro Haskinen, if not better. So I think we're going to have a lot of expensive D contracts coming out soon. Yeah, Haskinen's cap hit now is more than, like, you know, fantasy studs like John Carlson, Victor Hedman. He's a touch behind Roman Yosi's $9 million. So, I mean, I'm definitely not going to come on the show and say Haskinen isn't good. Like, Haskinen's awesome, but in fantasy... Uh, if you're in a dynasty like cap league, 8.45 million for a guy who had 27 points in 55 games last year, which is like a 40-ish point pace. Uh, I don't know. I, if I had him, I'd be a little concerned. Like obviously, there's still upside for more. And one day Klingberg won't be there, and Hayes will get more power play time. But he did have 58 percent of the team's power play time this past year, so it's not as if he didn't get an opportunity to play with the man advantage. Uh, he already played 25 minutes a game on average last year also. So it's not as if we have, you know, a expected, like, increased role. He was already playing all the freaking time, almost half the game. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he could grow into a 50-point guy, but I don't know if that's worth it, depending on your league format. So, anyway, good for Haskinen. Probably good for Dallas, because I know he does a lot of great stuff. But uh, Victor actually has Haskinen in the Dynasty League <laughs> I'm in, and I wouldn't trade for Haskinen, I don't think. Yeah. It, it's pretty bad for, for Cap or Dynasty League managers who have Haskinen. I, this feels a lot like, actually, Elon, you just had Brennan Gallagher, who like his new contract kicked in, and you're like, actually, I don't think his production uh, makes that dollar tag worthwhile. And I feel like the same is true for Haskinen now with his new deal, especially for the next year, where he still is potentially sharing power play duties with John Klingberg. Uh, and then Klingberg becomes an unrestricted free agent, so we, we're not sure what happens beyond that. But yeah, Haskinen is not uh, terribly attractive <laughs> at this point in a cap or dynasty. Honestly, even in a one year, he still doesn't strike me as someone with a huge upside or ceiling to produce. And of course, I have my anti-stars bias because of the way they tend to play with so few goals. So yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of having Haskinen in any context, but this contract especially hurts uh, anyone who has him in a league that that sort of thing matters. They have Jason Robertson, Brian. They're going to score a freaking goal. I'm so excited to see what you're going to project. Jason Robertson is going to score 40 goals and no one else. Okay, so Joe Pavelski uh, famously had 51 points in 56 games for a 75-point pace. The whole way through, you said he's going to slow down at some point, and I guess he did a little, but like he still was getting points almost every game. Uh, so what are you going to project Pavelski for next year when we have to put pen to paper? We're going to go for... He had 38 
pace the year before in his first year in Dallas. Then he jumped up to 75, which is actually his highest point pace of his career, believe it or not. Oh, no, he had 78 uh, points in 82 games in 2015-16 for the Sharks. But okay, so where where do you see yourself landing for Pavelski? Are we going down to like 50? I feel like you're going to go to 50. Uh, well, it's tricky because there's also the fact that Tyler Sagan wasn't in the picture and now he will be, which is likely going to take some opportunity away from Pavelski. Also, Robertson, like Pavelski was the guy uh, for the first bit of the season until Robertson kind of emerged. It didn't take long for Robertson to emerge, but still Pavelski had some extra play because of that. So Elon, I don't know if I'm going to go all the way down to 50. I could see a world where he gets 60, um, but without having done any of my usual research or prep to answer this question, uh, I mean, you've called me boring. You said it's the, the boring answer is 50, it. 55 points, <laughs> or you said that could be... I, I think that's it. I don't want to be boring. Uh, if you ask me over under 55, I'll, I'll take the over, but there's also a lot of downside possible just because of everyone around him. You've got hints stepping up. You've got Sagan back. You've got Robertson stepping up too, and I, I just haven't decided yet if that helps Pavelski or hurts him. Yeah, and he's 37 years old, so he's going to have to yeah. decline at some point. It's pretty wild to have such a career. Yeah, okay, I'm taking the under. Take the under. Okay, so Pavelski versus Arvidsson. I'm just throwing stuff out to you that you didn't prepare uh, for. Who are you taking first? Oh, that's a really tough one. I think I will take Arvidsson on the presumption that he's on the top power play. If not, I'll switch to Pavelski. Okay, I'll just take Pavelski over Arvidsson. I, you're higher on Arvidsson than me. I like him. I, I, I'm like Arvidsson like you are to Nolan Patrick. Like, I hope he does well. That'll be nice. But I don't know if I'm going to bank on it after two disappointing seasons. But okay. So uh, speaking of free agent D-men, like Haskinen no longer is one, uh, unlike some of those other guys I mentioned. But there are a bunch of UFA uh, free agent D-men. Uh, some of them we knew, like Hamilton, Martinez, Barry, Edler, uh, Adam Larson. They're all going to be unrestricted free agents this summer. But we also have a couple new names to add to the list and Ryan Suter and Keith Yandel, who were both bought out by their respective teams, the Wild and the Panthers. And of course, Minnesota also bought out Zach Parisi on the same day as Suter, nine years after they signed both of them to their 13-year deals, which is kind of just crazy that they signed 13-year contracts. What, what a world we used to live in. Now this, like, Haskin, an eight-year contract is the longest you can do, and it almost feels like too long. But anyway... Uh, we'll dig into these guys more when they actually sign with their new teams. There's no point doing a deep dive on Ryan Suter and Zach Parise and their fantasy value since we don't even know where they're going. But any general, and same with Keith Yandel, like, do you see any general fantasy impact you want to discuss with respect to the Wild and the Panthers losing these longtime core members of their teams? I don't think so. I think Minnesota, like, Suter wasn't really, uh, yeah, he got occasional top power play time, and that was great for him. But I think healthy Dumba, they have Spurgeon. I think they're good between those two guys for power play time, and I don't think their fortunes are going to change substantially. The forward core in Minnesota isn't going to be affected at all by Parisi leaving because he's getting, like, third-line minutes and very, like, pretty much no power play deployment by the time the season was done. And same thing in Florida. Keith Yandel was definitely not in the picture for a lot of it. I, I think this will obviously help Aaron Ekblad, who didn't need the help, but now uh, there's no sort of like, well, we're dressing Keith Yandel, so maybe we should just use him on the power play and take someone else's spot away. It wasn't always Ekblad who lost his spot because of it, 
But uh, yeah, I, I think all three of these guys, especially Parisi and Yandel, had already been reduced to non-factors on their respective teams. So there's really not much of an impact uh, to either of those rosters because they're gone. Yeah, exactly. Like Florida was benching Yandel in the playoffs. There was a time back when Ekblad was healthy that they were running like two defensemen, like Ekblad and Yandel on the top power play, along with Barkov, Huberdeau, and Hornqvist. So you could say, okay, now that Yandel is gone, there's like a better chance that there's just going to be a fourth forward on there the whole time in the playoffs actually i'm seeing like florida sometimes ran five forwards on the power play i don't know if you recall that but like, florida uh, took tampa bay to a good series like florida's yeah. now forgotten because they were eliminated in the first round they had a really tough first round matchup going against the the lightning but anyways yeah tampa's gonna be good and i feel like okay i'll throw out a random name that i think benefits from this it's like sam bennett now gets to hang out still on the top power play uh, there's not going to be two defensemen. They'll have Ekblad, Bennett, Barkov, Huberdeau, Hornqvist. Mwah. Watch out for Sam Bennett next year. This guy's uh, still going to be the second line center. He's still going to continue to do well. Maybe not as well as he did at the end of last year, but uh, that was pretty awesome. Okay, so Panthers, wh- by the way, also re-signed Anthony Duclair, which is nice to see. I was shocked by that, Brian. That's cool. Good for him. Yeah, I think it's great. And there's term on the deal, too, yeah, which years. is nice. Yeah, because he was, he was working for that. He put himself out there with kind of a prove-me prove myself contract and he did it and i'm curious to see i mean through all of last year we saw duclair seeming to do well but with nothing actually showing up on the score sheet and eventually i think that led to him losing uh, any kind of power play opportunities he had and he also didn't get uh, any more shots on the top line even though he had some for a bunch of the start of the year so i'm curious to see if he i mean the panthers clearly are interested in Duclair now. They're more invested in him now than they were last year. So I'm really interested to see if that correlates with some uh, renewed opportunities for Duclair. It means that his fancy relevance is still still there. Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked because if you look at the playoffs, he played all six games for Florida, no points. The last two games, last three games of the series, his ice time was like 11 and a half minutes and 10 minutes and then like 11 minutes. So he was like barely playing. He was a fourth liner. He had a really good regular season. Like overall, he pays for like 60 points. But yeah, event- he played like almost every game with every game. He played with either Barkov or Huberdo. There were like four where he played with Noel Achari and Carter Verheg. But I think those were the ones that Alex Barkov was hurt. Right, but but then in the playoffs, he did end up getting bumped down. I think once Sam Bennett came, maybe that changed things. Anyways, I don't know. I really thought that Duclair was done. I remember we we did a podcast about, like, just talking about what happened in the first round of the playoffs. And I was like, okay, well, clearly Duclair's not coming back to Florida now. They're basically not playing him in these important games. Now they signed him to a three-year extension. So I guess... I don't know. Good for him. We'll see how it works out. I definitely wouldn't be, I guess, if I, as a last pick. And it, maybe it'll be like just like training camp last year where we saw that he was playing with Barkov in training camp. So all of a sudden we got excited about Duclair. So sure, you know, don't like spend a high draft pick on him because he could definitely fall down the lineup as we've seen. But if he's playing uh, on that line in training camp, we've seen that he can definitely get points there. Okay. Here's a trade I really want to talk to you about. Maybe we've waited a lot too long to get to this, but obviously it was big news around a week ago. But I found it very funny. Actually, the funniest thing about Ryan Suter being bought out was that it happened just a day after the Edmonton Oilers traded Caleb Jones and a third round pick for 38 year old Duncan Keith and his two years remaining with a $5.5 million cap hit. It's like, I don't know. They could have potentially gotten Suter on a cheaper deal without the acquisition cost. We also just saw that Ryan Graves got traded to New Jersey. I guess like Ryan Graves isn't the exact same type of player as Duncan Keith, but I don't know. It's just like... No, but he's probably more useful. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. Maybe he's not like as offensively inclined. Maybe he's not a power play guy that Duncan Keith is expected to be. But man, like 
I actually have a podcast scheduled tomorrow with Low Tide, Alan Mitchell, to talk about the Oilers. So I'll definitely be asking his opinion on uh, this Duncan Keith acquisition. But we could give a little teaser here. Uh, I guess aside from this uh, questionable decision to bring Keith in, the bottom line is that the Oilers clearly like Keith. And we know Oscar Clefbaum is not returning. We've heard that. Like, Tyson Barry's a UFA. So just looking at, like, fantasy value. And, Brian, for sure, feel free to make fun of the Oilers for making this trade, as I'm sure you want to. But, like, uh, just in terms of, like, straight-up fantasy value for next year, it's kind of like a good situation for Tonka Keith, right? Like, we just saw Tyson Barry lead defenseman in points uh, playing on this Oilers team and getting top power play time. And sure, like, he's going to have competition for the top power play, like Evan Bouchard, who's the heir apparent, but he's, like, hasn't even been a full-time NHLer yet, so it might take him some time. Darnell Nurse has gotten the top power play before and hasn't been able to hold the job. Uh, the Oilers are paying big money to Duncan Keith, and they just, like, traded Caleb Jones in a pick for him. So I don't know. I feel like this guy might get a shot. And even if he's not on the top power play, he'll still get, like, significant ice time. They didn't take him to play him only 18 minutes a game. He's going to be playing, you know, with Connor McDavid and whoever. Like, anyways, I'm more into Keith for fantasy purposes next year than I was this past year. Not to say I was so high on him last year, but I could see him being, like, at least a 40-point guy. This is a low bar to clear to be more interested in him this year than you were last year. And sure... I will be too, the same way I was more interested in Joe Thornton this year than I was the last year when I heard he was going to start in the top six in Toronto and be on the top power play. That didn't last. It didn't go well. Uh, and the thing with Duncan Keith is I, I feel like the same thing could bear out, except Edmonton and Toronto are different where I think Toronto is ready to adjust. And also, and also, they weren't as invested. It wasn't as polarizing a move to add Joe Thorne. Denver's was like, cool, try that. Oh, it didn't work? Okay. Whereas in Edmonton, there's just so much uh, animosity is the wrong word. But man, is it tense over there. And rightfully so. Like, management keeps doing these things. And I'm not going to get too into it because anybody who wants to have heard how dumb acquiring Keith was has surely found another place to hear that by now. Um, but Edmonton seems more like the kind of team that would want to double down on a mistake they've made just to be like, no one can tell us what to do. And I think, honestly, that might be their only option because in Chicago, Duncan Keith wasn't even, he wasn't great on the power play there, even when he did get reps, which wasn't even that often last season. Granted, few, nobody was essentially good on the blue line on the power play in Chicago, but I'm really just not sure what Duncan Keith has to add to the Oilers. The Oilers can certainly add to Duncan Keith and help him pad his personal totals. If you want to look for or try and find the analogy, you have Tyson Barry, who had 23 power play points in 56 games. That's a pace in an 82-game season of 34 power play points for Tyson Barry. Now, he did some work for them. I'm not convinced Duncan Keith, given the same opportunity, can get to those same heights. Uh, And maybe that's an if, that he's even going to get that same opportunity. Uh, So I'm not... I don't know. I'm not that excited about Duncan Keith. I feel like Edmonton is going to be obliged to give him a shot. And then I'll say, you know what? This isn't what we had him for. We have Evan Bouchard right here who can step in. By the way, Evan Bouchard is a right-handed defenseman, Elon, like Tyson Barry. So if he did replace Barry on the power play, the Oilers might not have to change much about their power play setup, whereas Keith is a left-handed defenseman. So is Nurse for what that's worth, and they've welcomed him onto the top unit from time to time. But when you talk to Alan Mitchell on Monday for our next 32 Beats uh, interview series release, I'm pretty sure he's going to tell you how much he loves Evan Bouchard and thinks he's ready for the challenge. It's just a question of uh, how stubborn 
And I say stubborn because I, I feel like it's a foregone conclusion that Keith isn't going to be the optimal choice. But how committed will Edmonton be to giving Keith the opportunity versus giving it to Evan Bouchard, who the organization didn't seem, even when he showed himself to be kind of ready to take on some responsibilities, like one mistake, forget it, bench, scratch, not like so uninvolved and, and disconnected. Like, just get get him out of here. So we'll see if they have more patience for him this year and do give Bouchard the opportunity to be on the top power play. Frankly, I am not, uh, I'm not interested in Duncan Keith. Maybe as a late flyer to take, but outside of that, like, I would actually put him, Elon, in the similar category, maybe a bit higher, but a similar category to Kevin Shattenkirk in Anaheim last season. Because... Like Shattenkirk had Cam Fowler was already there, but everyone was like, oh, well, Kevin Shattenkirk, Fowler hasn't done much on the power play lately. Maybe Shattenkirk can come in and pull off some of that old magic. He didn't. And then he was worthless. Yeah, I definitely think Keith is worth a lot more than Shattenkirk in fantasy. If he like, he's going to get the, like Adam just said, he's going to rack up the secondary assists. He's going to be on the ice. It's five on five, he's, even if not on the power he's play. He's going to give it to, sure. to Dre. He's going to give it to McDavid. McDavid's going to we'll see. burst through three defensemen and score goals. And Keith's going to get those assists. Plus, Duncan Keith is very good for blocks still. Maybe even better for blocks because he's like probably losing the puck and then needing to like make up for it by blocking a shot, but whatever. I think that uh, Duncan Keith is going to be I'll be very happy to get late in my fantasy drafts. Okay. I wouldn't be, I'd be okay to take a chance on him, but I wouldn't be thrilled about having him. Yeah. I think like if you have set your expectations, right? Let me say like a 40 point defenseman. That's good for blocks. I don't, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think he could. Okay. That. Can I just say like, it sounds like you're almost talking about someone like Chris Russell. Well, who Chris Russell doesn't the, get power play time. He doesn't. He's not a forty point. Yeah, but defenseman. I'm saying maybe maybe Keith doesn't get power play time, and I don't think Keith is a forty point defenseman either. Okay, well I'm telling you my prediction. So do you want to put okay. it on the bet board? Uh, Plus or minus forty point pace. Well, I want to see if he's trending for a top power play. Well, I mean that's obviously gonna gonna decide. Oh, of course, that's what I'm saying. So obviously you're not that confident that he won't be if you wouldn't make the bet. No, I'm not confident he won't be. All right, I so think we'll I've see. Made we'll that see. Clear. I said the Oilers are the team that is likely to double down on a mistake rather than fix it. All right. Well, at some point you're gonna have to draft your fantasy leagues, and then you'll have to. We'll see what you do. All right. <laughs> then so we'll see what, how I really feel. <laughs> okay. So who else? Right now we're just like this is the middle of the summer, right? We're posing the questions, th- putting out the hypotheticals. And it's up to the listener to chew on it, make the decisions for themselves. We don't know what's gonna happen with Duncan Keith. All I know is the Oilers traded for this guy. He's like a player that's gonna play. Maybe get. And also, I don't think that Evan Bouchard is coming in and taking the top power play day one. Maybe it's a situation where he gets it midway through the year. But you know, I mean, he's a guy who still has to make the. Team team before he jumps on the top power play so uh, baby steps here okay so uh let's talk about some more trades let's finish this off here so uh how about aiden hill went to the sharks <laughs> we're gonna talk we're just gonna continue talking about players who brian is gonna just like destroy and say how dismal they are so aiden hill by the way isn't that guy i assume he's been fine right he's put up a 913 save percentage in 19 appearances last year but now the sharks have someone else they can play instead of martin jones who, like, Aiden Hill's 913 save percentage and 19 appearances last season are, like, all-star numbers compared to what Martin Jones has been doing these last couple of seasons. He hasn't even cracked a 900 save percentage in the past couple of years. Brian, like, this is not a high bar here, but do you think Aiden Hill can do better than, like, Devin Dubnik and Aaron Dell and Martin Jones have done on the Sharks recently? Like, is there any chance Aiden Hill is someone that you could draft in fantasy next year and expect him to not be, like, just useless and terrible? 
Well, that is a very low bar. So I'm going to say, yeah, there is a chance you can expect him to not be useless and terrible. Or actually, let me just ask, like, just to make sure before you get into it, like, do you concur that he's going to be the starter? On, like, to me, I think he's the starter on the Sharks because Martin Jones is bad. I think he's a timeshare. Oh, okay. Ugh. Yeah. Why would they keep playing Martin Jones? Just don't. He's not good. Because <laughs> they have to. It's $6 million. But they could play for... Aiden Hill the majority of the time. You're right. So we'll see. I mean, I think... I think it starts as a timeshare, and then if Aiden Hill outplays Martin Jones, he's going to get more games. But I don't know that he's going to necessarily outplay Martin Jones. Oh, although, wow. again, that's a big diss. Not, you're right, and maybe that's harsh. Uh, I just, yeah, I guess so. Nothing about Aiden Hill has screamed NHL starter. He had one good season as a backup. He was nine eighteen save percentage in thirteen games. That was two seasons ago in twenty nineteen twenty. But in Hill's whole career, uh, he's a nine oh nine goalie, which is okay, but only forty six percent quality starts. And again, he hasn't seen a lot of action. Even though there have been moments where you know a couple goalies have been injured around him, and there might have been some opportunity uh, for me. Is he looks like a backup, maybe a timeshare guy anywhere, let alone in San Jose, and it's still a big question mark, which is crazy because that's that's not what San Jose needed, right? They needed someone who they could count on to come in and take some games, so they're just like throwing another dart after after Dubnik and after Jones, and now they're you're going to throw a dart with Aiden Hill and see where it lands, and I just don't see, yeah, like I, it does seem hard that he won't outplay jones to get games i guess i just am not sure how consistent he can be yeah fair if he is playing in a timeshare that's that's the one reason i'm not sure and how like jones is super inconsistent we saw jones go on a crazy run last year that was like what the heck it was the first time he'd done anything meaningful in three years but we're like could he so i just don't know anything about the San Jose Crease at this point. And to be fair, not yeah. buying into Aiden Hill. They they might still like buy out. I think when I talked to Shang Peng, he said that they might buy out Martin Jones. Maybe they're not done, right? They buy out Jones and they get another goalie to play with Aiden Hill. That's you know, every year that goes by, it becomes less expensive to buy out Martin Jones. So maybe it's finally time <laughs> to do it. So if they buy out Jones and Hill is a starter and we'll see how he can do. Well if they buy out Jones they're probably gonna get someone else. Like they'll get a UFA. Well. You might be giving them too much credit at this point. They have Melnichuk in the system. Some people say that he'll be something one day. I don't know, man. I hope I hope they can get some good goaltending. Maybe this team... The thing is, like, we just assume now the Sharks are so bad, but it's like they've had, like, the worst goaltending in the league. So you wonder... But, of course, it's, like, a bit of a... You know, like, the team has some responsibility for not playing good defense yeah. to make it hard to play goalie there. But, like, if they had... Like, they've had Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik, like... Maybe they could be actually a bit of a better team if they had, like, even just average goaltending. It seems like a last gasp, honestly. You have Couture, you have Hurdle, you have Carlson, you have Burns. You want to try and take another crack with these guys, but I, I don't think they're enough, especially with the with the group around them. I think it's time. Like I think what San Jose probably should be doing is trying to collect some assets for their top players before they all completely fall off uh, instead of trying to take... Uh, like Like, I just see them as treading water. I mean, yeah. I mean, and they're already like nose deep. I mean, I definitely can't disagree. They can maybe, I don't know. I think they could still be good. Like they have some good core players, but yeah, it'll take a lot. It'll take some really good management and they haven't shown yet that they have that, but you never know. Okay. Uh, let's finish this off. So Nick Letty, I don't think we're gonna have much to say here. He went to the wings for Richard Panic, who was retained some of his contract in a second. So a uh, Letty, Brian, did you even realize this? When I was researching this episode, I was like, wait, Letty had 31 points in 56 games last year. That's a 45 point pace. Where did that come from? 
We did talk about him. I forgot. Yeah, he went on a like one. I think it was one really long hot streak, and every week we're like, "Yeah, don't get invested. Yeah, don't get invested." Like this is classic Nick Letty, and uh, he just kept doing it. But I wouldn't expect that to continue in uh, Long Island or in Detroit. Yeah, I feel like I'm not gonna like be excited to draft Nick Letty, and if anything, just though does make me a little bit less excited to draft someone like Philip Heronic, just because maybe now he's getting bumped. From the- if it's not Dennis Chalowski who's bumping him from the top power play now, maybe it's Nick Letty. So who knows? Then on the Islanders, I guess like uh, if Letty was getting power play time, like now we'll see Pulak and Dobson get more power play time. But when's the last time anyone on the um, Islanders got power play points? <laughs> it's like we've time warped to like a year ago. We're like, yeah, it could be Pulak, could be Dobson, because it looks like the Isles have moved on from Letty. And even with opportunity, neither one really took much advantage. And like you said, it's been a long time since anybody put up significant power play points uh, by quarterbacking the Isles power play. And we've talked about how Matt Barzal himself still doesn't put up a ton of power play points. And that's one of the reasons that the ceiling is low, because that Isles power play just is kind of uh, low power. So uh, I'm not looking and drooling over Pulak and Dobson on I- I don't look at Detroit any differently now that Letty's there, and I don't look at the Islanders any different now that Letty's gone. Yeah, by the way, the Islanders might lose one of their power play guys in Eberly. They might be losing him to this expansion draft. So. Yeah, but they'll keep Matt Martin, which is what's really important. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess they have their, like, Kiefer Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom. Like, one of those guys are probably ready to take over from Eberly. Whatever. The Islanders are still going to make the playoffs and then bump the Penguins out in the first round or whatever and go on a run and eventually lose to Tampa. That's how it goes. But uh, they'll be fine. But yeah, don't expect a lot of fantasy value there. Uh, I, I think we're good here. Brian, this has been so fun talking with you. I, I don't know. I had your graves for Maltsev in a second. But that's, obviously, there's no fantasy. You value. already talked about it. You just wanted to talk about how you have Maltsev on a dynasty roster. Yeah, I, I got a little excited. Well, for a second, I thought to myself, like, ooh, now Maltsev got traded to Colorado. And the rumor is that Landeskog is, uh, you know, uh, maybe on the out. So there's an opening on the top line. But I think they have better options there than uh, Mikhail Maltsev up to take that spot. Probably someone like an Alex Newhook has, has a better chance of cracking the top six than Mikhail Maltsev, uh, who had a couple good games for New Jersey at the end of the year. But okay, I'm reaching. Uh, Brian, this has been fun. We haven't had a show talking like this for a while. Look at this. Right back in the saddle. An hour and 45 minutes later, and here we are. I guess we're somewhat up to date now on everything going on in the NHL. So, and then obviously we'll become out of date very quickly because in a few days, the Seattle Kraken will form their first NHL team and then we'll have to get back on here and discuss. But yeah. It's been a blast breaking down all of this action with you. And thanks so much to everyone for listening. Uh, we like, really appreciate our summer listeners. Like you're the true fans of the show who aren't even like in the middle of a fantasy season needing our advice, but you still just want to hang out with us. So we really appreciate it. And we want to hear from you, by the way. If we don't know that you're a listener, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Say hello. Uh, we'll definitely respond. Uh, if you want to come hang out on our Discord, we got that going just a buck a month for our Patreon program. And you get to uh, join our community there. We're having a lot of fun. We've been doing our, our rankings we were talking about in the pre-show brian is participating in the rankings a different player every single day gets picked uh today i've got a vote on elias Pettersson to go 40th brian's got a vote on john Tavares. so that's where we're currently sitting and you'll have to i guess hang out in our patreon community to find out who ends up getting ranked 40th overall it looks like Pettersson's ahead right now in the votes 
And also, Elon invites questions from the patrons before each of his 32 Beats interviews. So if you have a question that's burning about a team we're about to do an interview with, it's a great opportunity for you to get it asked. True, true, true. Yeah, by the way, patrons, hit me up if you want uh, me to ask something to Alan Mitchell about the Oilers. I'm going to probably prep that show tonight. But okay, yeah, so thanks everyone again. Hope you like the show. Uh, but with that, Brian, I think we are ready to cue the outro music. And for the first time in a while, I get to ask you to go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by BrendanWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Broach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks again to everyone who joined us live in the chat. Shane, you're right. Broberg is another player on Edmonton, a defenseman who will likely start this year. Who knows if he could potentially take some power play time. Uh, So yeah, great job. Looking forward to talking to you next, I guess, about the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, but before then, you're probably going to have some B-Writer interviews at definitely for Edmonton and Boston, Florida. We're actually hoping uh, that a Rangers interview is coming up. Oh, and you have a Blue Jackets one, too. It's a very exciting time. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for those. And while you do, remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone.